I know summer psalms just began last week, and you're ready to go with the psalms, and here we are taking a break already. Uh, we're doing it for good reason, right? This is uh, the first time in uh, our church's history since we were particularized five years back in November of uh, 16, uh, that today we'll be ordaining and installing a, a new elder. And uh, so we wanted to take a little time to look in the scriptures uh, to help us understand from scripture both the role and the qualifications of an elder. Why do we have them and such? Uh, there's a few places. <clears throat> you'll see it all over scripture. There's three main passages, though. Uh, 1 Peter 5, 1 Timothy 3, and Titus 1. They're all significant. We're going to touch on all three of those. Today we're going to spend most of our time in, in Titus chapter 1, though. Uh, so if you've got a Bible, go ahead and make your way over there so you can have it in front of you. Uh, to the book of Titus, little bitty, tiny little book. Uh, it's only two pages in my Bible. I don't know what it'll look like in yours, but it's very small. Uh, anyway, I, I've learned over the years <clears throat> that many people um, believe they don't like order or structure, right? Uh, and, and the reason is it just feels restrictive to them. Like, I, I don't want all these different things and boundaries and borders and expectations and, and all that stuff that comes with structure. We, we just kind of want to do whatever it is we want to do. Uh, in fact, this is the reason that I'm willing to bet that none of you could ever, ever show me anyone with a tattoo of 1 Corinthians 14.40, uh, which says this, right? All things should be done decently and in order. Nobody's putting that anywhere on a tattoo. You've never seen it. Uh, if you do find it, show it to me. I'll buy you lunch. And, and yet, have, have you ever wondered what would happen if, if order just went out of everything in the world, Right? Without order, our, our planets would actually collide into each other and go flying off into the universe somewhere. If, if you remove the bones from our bodies, <clears throat> we'd be living on a planet with seven billion Jabba the Huts would be all it was. Or, or can you imagine, right, as hard as it is to find things in Home Depot, can you imagine if you went in there and you went to go get a three-quarters inch, and uh, some of you know I don't actually know what that is, but if you went to go get a three-quarter inch only to find this big pile of hardware just spread around everywhere and you just had to dig through it uh, instead of categorize aisles? You think back to even Genesis 1, right? The Lord creates the world. Tohu vabohu, that's the Hebrew. It just means formless and void. And, and then the first thing we begin to see is him, him putting everything in the order. He's showing us the order in which he's creating the world. Let there be light. Order is a good thing. And, and as the gospel spread to local churches, local congregations are being established. Our Lord didn't leave them without instructions for how to put things in, in order for the church, which brings us around that we as a, a church now, we're in, about to begin our eighth year. Um, if we really wish to be, uh, hold up to our commitment of being people of the word, then our leadership model must be what God teaches in his word. And that's what we seek to do with, with eldership. Uh, we're going to look at Titus chapter 1, verse 5 now. I'm going to read it. You can follow along or listen, um, and then we'll dig into it. We'll pray and we'll dig into it. <clears throat> this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as, as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. The grass withers, the flower fades, 
Let's pray. Lord God, we desire to understand what biblical eldership looks like, and so please enlighten our minds this morning as we come to your infallible word. Holy Spirit, would you shelter our minds from distraction, and please strengthen me for the task ahead. It's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Now, before we start, I do have this concern that uh, it, it may be particularly easy for you to just zone out today, and the reason is this, because uh, I know that when I'm somewhere, uh, a conference or whatever it might be, and I'm listening to instructions, and the moment I realize, oh, that's not particularly uh, relative to me, I just kind of will zone out, right? I'm, I'm sitting there, and the guy up front says, you know, important info for those who drove a car here today, and I think, oh, I didn't drive a car here today, I flew. Um, <clears throat> I don't know what he says afterwards. That's the end of my answer, my listening at that point. Uh, everything after that point is just blah, 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 kind of in the background. And so I don't, I don't want you to hear this is about elders today in this passage and, and to think um, to yourself, well, I, I'm not an elder. I, I don't desire to be an elder. I, I don't believe I can be an elder. Uh, and, and then for you just to, you know, later on, maybe I, I find your notes laying on the ground. I just see those words, right? Blah, blah, blah. That's not the kind of notes I want you taking, you know, internally or out to externally uh, today. And so let me begin by just saying this. It, it is a, a reminder that this is important for you, um, and it's important so that you'll know why your church has elders and what the expectations we should have for such elders and how you can help your elders, your shepherd you well, care for you well. And, and also so you'll know how to pray for your elders. Honestly, seriously, because we very much need your prayers for endurance, to live godly lives, to, to make wise decisions, to, to care for this congregation. We need that. So then, um, with that preface, let's get right into the passage itself, beginning in verse 5, the first one we read today. Paul is, is writing to a younger man here. The man's name is Titus, uh, a man he met on his missionary journey, has uh, trained and, and uh, discipled and, and uh, Titus, and then he has left him on the island of Crete, right, out in the Mediterranean, and for the purpose of organizing new churches, right? Paul's saying, I'm leaving, but you're there, and here's how you organize new churches. And, and keep in mind, the, the gospel has been preached, people have believed, they've been redeemed, uh, but the Christian life doesn't end there. That's not the end of what we do. Making disciples begins there, it doesn't end there. The people needed to grow in their knowledge of God and in godliness and to gather together to worship God and to participate in the sacraments together and to be discipled and corrected and encouraged and cared for. And, and so there was structure, there was order that was needed. And, and what do we see here as the first step for setting up the church, right? Verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. <clears throat> that's the instruction in God's word for church leadership. Now, Laura and I were talking to a guy who planting, doing church planting uh, some years ago, and they had decided we're just not going to have elders. We don't like that model. And we asked them, uh, so who are the leaders of the church? And, and his answer was, well, I mean, whoever's leading, that's the leader. If you lead, you're a leader. Uh, was his, and we were like, so what, what does that mean exactly? And he said, well, if they're bringing people to church and people seem to be following them to church, uh, and listening to them, then those are leaders, and they're leaders. And we're like, oh, okay. And so, like, forever? Or what if people stop following them? And he's like, well, then, then they're no longer leaders. It's that simple. <clears throat> and I, I just kind of wanted to ask, so, so Hitler, Mussolini, those guys would have been pretty significant leaders in your church, right? Uh, I didn't ask that. 
Uh, I kind of wish I had going back. I didn't think of it at the time, or I probably would have. Um, Anyway, what really concerned me about that whole thing was that God's Word has qualifications and instructions for church leadership. So why in the world would we just try to invent something? Why in the world would we just come up with our own idea at this point? Why, why invent your own system outside of God's design? And, and, and that's why our leadership in the Presbyterian Church of America, the PCA, and at Manhattan Pres is, is elders. In fact, personally speaking, I, I'll say I, I came from a Bible church background and a Baptist background where they'd sometimes have some form of elders and usually not. It was just a, a border that kind of, a, a board of some sort. I, anyway, um, one of the things that stood out to me the most were two things that really drew me to the PCA originally, and it was that I was seeing in Scripture this idea of, of elder leadership in the church, and then I was seeing that in the PCA, and I thought, okay, I like that. I really appreciate that. And the other thing was just the sovereignty of, of God that I, I saw in the PCA was, was just universally kind of accepted, and those, those are the two big things that drew me. And so one of them was just the, the order of church leadership. If you've ever been in some really poor church leadership situations, you'd understand why those kind of things can begin to appeal to you. Now, before we get into the qualifications, I I want you to learn there are three terms for this office that are used interchangeably in Scripture, and you need to know this so when you see them, you know that's what they're talking about in Scripture. Uh, The first is the Greek word episkopos, uh, which is where the Episcopal Church gets its name from. Episkopos literally means to observe uh, something carefully, right? To just watch it, uh, take care of it, look at it closely. Uh, the ESV translation uh, translates into, it into English as overseer. When you see the word overseer in your Bibles, that's what you're seeing. It's someone whose responsibility it is to keep a protective eye on God's people, on his congregation. Uh, the word in verse 7 of our text today, it's another uh, word for this office. The word is poimen. Uh, it means a shepherd or a pasture, just like you'd think uh, on a farm with sheep. Uh, someone who shepherds sheep, goats, whatever, feeding them caring for them, protecting them from wolves as well. Uh, And then there's the word that is translated in verse 5 here as elder, and this is the Greek word presbuteros. Does that feel like a word you might know? Sound familiar to you? Uh, You do, because it's where the word Presbyterian comes from. It's why our denomination has this weird word that uh, hardly anyone seems to be able to spell when I have to give uh, it to someone over the phone. Uh, Anyway, this word means an elder uh, or a mature man. Our denomination takes that name because we are led by presbyters or elders. Uh, And so then the idea here is that there was one local church per town, uh, and every local church was going to need elders. That was going to be the leadership. And so Titus needed to know, listen, you're going to be appointing men to this position, and you need to know what to look for in men, Uh, which brings up an important uh, point right here. First of all, uh, did you notice in verse 5, you've got it before you look at verse 5, is it singular elder or is it plural elders? What do you say? Plural, that's right. Uh, plural. It is always plurality of elders in the scripture. Uh, Acts 14, 23, when, the, when they had appointed elders for them in every church. Acts 20, 17, Paul called the elders of the church to come to him. James wrote, uh, when you're sick, go call the elders and ask them to come and pray for you, over you. And, and the beauty of this plurality is that the responsibility of, of shepherding and making decisions, it's not just on one guy, uh, and, and, uh, and it's for an, an entire group of qualified men it's, uh, who are, you know, equal in this sense, right? Uh, on our session, which is what we call a group of elders, or just called a session, uh, the group of elders of a local church, anyway, I, I have one vote just like the rest of them. In fact, I don't vote unless there's 
a need for an extra vote among them. Um, but that's the way it is. No one gets to make all the decisions. And it's good because one person tends to make bad decisions, but in a group there is a lot of, of wisdom that comes into that. We have seen it work out over and over and over again in a way that we are so thankful to the Lord for. Um, so one of the beautiful things about uh, having elders, uh, plurality of elders also, is that there is consistency and there is continuity. Here's what I mean by that. I, I've been riding my bicycle around town a lot lately. It's been nice. I, I love being able to go at that speed when I go places. But uh, if I get run over tomorrow by some 20-year-old who's trying to watch TikTok while driving at the same time, uh, right, it'll be a sad day. I hope you'd be sad a little bit. Uh, but I also know that this church will continue on. And not just continue, but to continue on with the, the same theological commitment. And the reason is because the leadership is a, a group with a common commitment to the Holy Scriptures and, and to our doctrinal standards, which is the Westminster Confession of Faith and the rest of the Westminster. Um, <clears throat> there is this already put in place so you know that it, it's not going to be drastically different. Uh, sadly, when the churches use the pastor as the CEO model, that's common in churches today, the next pastor comes in and everything can change tomorrow. Theologically, vision, everything can, can switch. So uh, here's what we do as, as elders, right? Uh, to oversee the spiritual nurture of this covenant community. That, that's the responsibility. Actively shepherding, ministering the word, praying for this congregation by name, administering the sacraments, being available for whatever you need, checking in to see how you're doing and how we can pray for you. And, and, and let me say, if, if you're here on a regular basis, we will care for you as well. We will pray for you. We desire to, to do that. And, and yet, I'll, I'll tell you, we can be, be better elders when, when you're a member of this congregation because it lets us know you, you want to be cared for. It lets you know you desire shepherding. You want someone up in your business if things are not going well in your life. And at the same time, don't think Gestapo or, you know, TSA at the airport. Think in terms of a, a loving parent who cares about your spiritual nurture. They're not going to dig into all your problems unless they, like, come out widely or you request that, that in your life. But there is that, that shepherding care. First uh, Peter 5, 1 through 3 gives us a, a good picture of how this care is to be given. Uh, this is an encouragement to elders, and, and Peter says this, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And notice Peter there says, uh, you won't notice because it's not open to you, but uh, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Right? There is a, a responsibility not to shepherd everyone on the planet. Right? It's not to shepherd everyone on social media. Or, or, or people in churches all over the planet, there is a, a sense of, of place, a sense of location to this call. Our responsibility is to those within this covenant community here. In, in summary of this aspect, <clears throat> elders are to lead by example, uh, by following Christ as, as well, uh, very well ourselves. And that's what we see there in 1 Peter 5. Uh, and so then the rest of our passage in Titus is about what qualifies someone to serve as an elder. And this gives the picture of the character, the kind of character that those selected ought to possess. Uh, so let me start by pointing out in 1 Timothy 3, it, it's clear that uh, a man should desire to be an elder. Now that doesn't mean he's campaigning uh, all the time. It doesn't mean he's going around with his signs, I want to be an elder, vote for me, or anything like that. Um, that's not the point. It's, it's that he's not reluctant to be one. 
that he's willing to be one. There is a desire to shepherd people and all the responsibility that entails. Uh, being an elder is not a reward. Okay? This is not the, oh, you've done so well. Let us, you know, this is the end of it. You've been given a prize. It's, it's not that. It's a responsibility. It's a calling from the Lord. Um, that's what it is. And there's no specific age given that qualifies someone, but age certainly helps someone develop these qualities as they've walked with the Lord for a long time and uh, had the experiences to, to get to that sort of character. Uh, what's very clear is that it's not necessary that they be men of great worldly possession or position, or high in wealth or education, but it is necessary that they be godly men. That's the idea behind that statement in verse 6, above reproach. Uh, Above reproach means unblameable. Not that they can't be accused of something, but that if they were accused of something, there'd be no evidence against them. Uh, It says an elder is to be uh, the husband of one wife. It it doesn't say an elder is required to be married. Paul wasn't married. The the point is that that if an elder is married, he must be faithful, a faithful husband to to one woman. The the text then goes on to say his uh, children are to believers. That's translated from a word meaning faithful, which usually means someone who has faith in Jesus, but given the inability to guarantee if your, your, your children are believe, or believe the gospel or not, and given the context here, it, it more likely means children are, are not in defiance against their father, that they're not rebelling against everything they, they, they see in their father this way. I, I say this because it explains the, the, the faithfulness of, of children as, as not living in debauchery or insubordination is what we see there, right? That's not true of these children. Uh, and debauchery is, is defined as excessive indulgence in sensual pleasures or insubordination, which is, you know, a big word, an 18-point Scrabble word, but it means refusing to obey. This is really the expectation of any children under any Christian parents, right, at this point. <clears throat> but the point is that the home is where we can readily observe how a man shepherds, how he's been given responsi- those who he's been given responsibility to care for. It's a, a testing ground, if you will. Now, work, right? Vocational work is necessary for providing financially, but if all effort is towards career or pursuing hobbies or trying to collect wealth, there is no way that a man should be asked to, to shepherd God's people. Uh, also note, this doesn't say their children are perfect. <clears throat> it doesn't. It doesn't say their children aren't difficult at times um, or that they never get into trouble or, or need correction of all sorts. It's a wide-angle observation of the fruit of their shepherding. Is there observable evidence of loving correction, of teaching their children the Scripture and praying with and for them, of general nurture? Do you see their children flourishing in the Lord? And then starting in verse 7, there's this quick-fire list of qualities we should expect of any man who's been called to be an elder. The first five are worded negatively, and then the next eight, I believe, eight are listed positively. Uh, first, he must not be arrogant. Arrogant men are too concerned with themselves, too concerned with being right to care for God's people. Arrogant men do not work well in a group. They lack compassion for hurting people. They often desire the title more than they do providing shepherding care, which can be uh, difficult at times. So right off the bat, not arrogant men. And then, see, they ought not to have a quick temper, but rather are to be patient so that they can exercise wisdom. A qualified man cannot be a drunkard, 
that doesn't forbid alcohol, but rather the excess of alcohol, the lack of self-control that leads a man to become uh, a drunkard. Uh, he cannot be violent. Violent men harm people rather than care for them. They must not be greedy for gain. In Luke 16, 13, Jesus warns, saying, uh, In fact, no servant can serve two masters, for either they will hate the one and love the other, or they will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So they cannot be greedy. If a man is greedily chasing after wealth, then he is not graciously following after Christ. And thus, he should not be leading the people of God. And so then let's consider the positive characteristics, starting in verse 8. The first one, hospitable. He must be hospitable. This includes his family being hospitable if he is married. Willing to open their homes to, to help others, not only those within the church, but unbelievers, anyone who is in need of hospitality. Uh, he is to be a lover of good. We then see that he has to be self-controlled, which is a major theme in this entire letter of Titus, if you were to read the rest of it. <clears throat> and, it's close, uh, and that's tied closely to these last three things. Next three. Uh, he is to be upright, holy, and disciplined. There, there should be consistency in his life. Not perfection, but consistency in following after the Lord. Is he regularly present at worship and in God's word and seeking to obey God's word in other areas of his life? And then our, our last verse today, verse 9, speaks of the faith and the theological convictions of a man who's qualified for this office. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. That phrase, hold firm, literally means to cling to, to hold on to, right? I, like something solid, like you can imagine holding on to a tree as the water were to try to wash you away, something like that. What, what's expected is that this man clings to the trustworthy word as taught in, in that same manner. That's, that's about the gospel, right? As, as we have it, as we understand it in God's word. Does, does he believe that this is the inerrant word of God? Does, does he trust in it? Uh, is, right? Does he believe this is true and trustworthy? And can he teach that to others? In, in fact, this, in this passage, in a similar passage in 1 Timothy, all about uh, the office of eldership and qualifications, the only unique qualifications we, we see for an elder is the ability to teach God's word and to rebuke those who contradict God's word. You understand what that means for you? The, the rest of these qualifications that we've just learned should be true of any mature Christian. They're what we all seek after, right? This is the list that we can look at and think, okay, that's, that's Christian maturity to be sought after. No Christian ought to be arrogant. No Christian ought to be quick to just fly off the, the handle and temper. All Christians ought to be hospitable and self-controlled and, and so on as you go down those lists, right? We, we can't really think of ourselves, you, you know, I don't ever want to be an elder. I don't expect to be one. So I guess I'm just going to be violent and greedy. That's cool, right? No. I mean, these are what we all want to seek after. And so anyway, teaching is significant here. This, this doesn't mean they need to be the best teacher ever. doesn't mean they need to be more knowledgeable on every theology than everyone else in the room at all given moments. But it does mean they need to be able to, to clearly and faithfully teach the Word of God. We, we see this in 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Uh, Paul writing to Timothy says... What you have heard from me in the presence of many, uh, many witnesses and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In this congregation, you will see your elders teaching, even preaching. Ryan will be preaching Psalm 18 uh, later this summer. 
He picked it on a whim. It's 50 verses long. I don't know how he's going to fit this into one sermon. Uh, but you'll get to see that in July. Uh, you will. You'll see our elders preach, right? They, they won't preach as often as I do simply because they have careers and flip houses and not as much time for preparation as I have or uh, that kind of thing. And, and their lives haven't been set apart specifically for that, test, that, that task, right, of vocationally doing so. But I love that our elders are able to preach and regularly teach in small groups and other settings. The other unique characteristic of elders we see in verse 9 here, it's that they must be prepared to rebuke those who contradict biblical truth. That's because correcting uh, helps protect God's people and, and the elders have been called to protect them. Uh, that doesn't mean that we go online, right? We're not out hunting down every theological error in the world. I saw you, you said this, and you know, it's not a, a, a witch hunt out in the world uh, kind of thing, but among the local covenant community, we must be ready to rebuke any doctrine that is contrary to the scripture and comes into this congregation. And so then you've likely noticed, right, at, at this point, I keep using masculine terms as we talk about this office of referring to an elder, which, which might raise a question for you, right? Are only men to serve as elders in Christ's church? The answer is yes. Only men are to serve in the specific role of elder. And as much as I want to say that apologetically, as much as the, the cultural pressure to say that apologetically is there, I won't. Because it's with biblical conviction and, and not cultural sensitivity or chauvinistic malice by which we have come to this conclusion. That, that's not to say there aren't roles of servant leadership or, or gospel witness of all sorts of meaningful ministry for women in the church and the community but, but this particular role, this office and responsibility in the church is, is only for, for, some, for qualified men. And, and that does not mean that we do not value women or, or believe women to be spiritually, or, or as if we believe them to be immature. That, that's not the case. I, I learn a great deal from women authors and from women in our congregation. Some of you know I come and ask you things. It, it means we have an unwavering commitment to the scriptures an unwavering commitment to the scriptures. And as we saw, right, today in verse 6, he must be the husband of one wife, right? Or as Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. And, and the two unique aspects of being an elder in Christ's church, seen in verse 9 of our passage, they say an elder must be able to teach and rebuke, which is exercising authority. There's a great deal more nuance in understanding what sort of teaching Paul means here and what he doesn't mean uh, that we don't have time to get into today. But yes, the office of elder is reserved for qualified men. Now, let me explain elders here at Manhattan Pres and within our denomination because our, our denomination actually distinguishes between two, two roles of elders. They're all elder on equal, equal ground, uh, but there's two distinct roles of it. Uh, there's the teaching elder, which is abbreviated as a TE if you ever see it in writing. Uh, these are men who have been to seminary, they've been through uh, rigorous examination, and they do most of the teaching and preaching in the church. Uh, in our church, I'm a teaching elder, John Dunning's also one, not for our church, but in our denomination. Uh, the other type of ruling elder, other, other type of elder is a ruling elder, an RE. Uh, they also teach, but usually have other employment, uh, and so their time is more limited. Uh, they are examined pretty rigorously, but not as rigorously. Um, in fact, our like ruling elders, uh, lay, lay elders, are examined far more than I've ever seen in other 
churches I've been in outside of the Peter. Anyway, um, all right, Tim and Travis are, are ruling elders, and after today, Ryan Sear will also take on that responsibility of serving as an elder for you as well. Um, so then let me, let me bring this to a close. Again, let me encourage you towards this. Pray for your elders. I mean that. I, how often do you take the time to, to pray for your elders? And I, I'm asking you that, to do that, to make that a priority in your life, because shepherding can be emotionally taxing at times. Uh, navigating the pandemic and major cultural shifts of the past 18 months has been exhausting. Something we're happy to do, but is emotionally exhausting at times. Trying to make decisions in the, in the fly is things you're, you don't fully understand yet. Uh, so we ask you to pray for that. On top of that, you don't uh, what you don't often see is that we are often have front row seat when people are in pain. When, when they've been sinned against by someone in just horrible ways or when they, they face doubts for their own faith or, or when they have sinned against someone else or just in general in grievous ways and, and, and maybe they're angry and, and don't want correction in that moment. We, we have those kind of things in our, our life at times. It can be weighty and so we ask you to pray for us. Along those lines, I can I encourage you with the words of Hebrews 13, 17, which was our, our, our affirmation of faith this morning, which overwhelmingly has been true of this covenant community when it says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account or will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Thank you. Thank you. Because I, I can honestly say that mostly, almost mostly, it has been an absolute joy to be your elders to shepherd you. It's a responsibility we, we take on from a call from the Lord, but it is a joy to do so. Uh, we're not perfect. You know that. Been in this church long enough. You know that only Jesus, our Lord, is perfect. Uh, but we are trying our best. We seek the Lord. We want to do what is biblical and right and it's honoring to our God, and we do love the Lord, and we do care about you, and I hope you know that. Uh, so that's just a, a summary of, of what it looks like today. There was the qualifications and the expectations for an elder. There's a great deal more. If you want to read more, um, I can point you in some, uh, some good books and things like that. Let you know some of the stuff we even read as elders, if that would interest you. Um, but let us all together, all together learn what it means to, to follow Jesus well. That's our, our long-term commitment. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are the only flawless and perfectly holy shepherd, and yet we thank you for providing elders as under-shepherds for your church. Thank you for calling Tim, Travis, myself, and now Ryan to this office, this weighty responsibility as a covenant community, please grant us unity in Christ and give us that undeniable mark whereby others will know that we are Christians, namely, a real and genuine love for one another. And so make us both patient and quick to forgive, knowing we have been forgiven greatly. Furthermore, please raise up from this congregation people who are humble and caring and who lead well because they follow Jesus Christ well. Finally, thank you for Christ. Thank you for Jesus, the good shepherd of our souls. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.